0: Good morning. It is good to be with you today. It's a beautiful day to be together. It's good to have visitors with us. We appreciate you choosing to assemble with us here to worship God. Faith. Faith is depicted to us in the New Testament one way as a shield. A shield that is able to extinguish Satan's arrows or Satan's darts. Read there in Ephesians chapter 6. It is also said to be what victoriously overcomes this world. And you read that in John's first epistle. I want to suggest to you that the strength and the courage of our faith does not stem from the individual himself, it does not come from within ourselves. That is, we are not the one that empowers our faith. Now, That does not eliminate the fact that each individual, each person, must possess his own faith. That is, we must be convicted of what is true, and then we must be assured of that. So that is all still very true. But I suggest to you that the power of faith, that is, the power of faith to protect, as talked about in Ephesians 6, or the power of faith to overcome, as we read in John's first epistle, is in the one who is trusted. That is, it is in the being in whom you believe in, although you cannot see him. Through faith, as the Hebrew writer tells us, we come to understand, we come to uh, realize certain realities that are invisible to us. Because we are convinced of God. Because we are assured of God's word. Now the holy scriptures not only reveal to us God's will. That is God's will to mankind or God's will for mankind. But also the inspired scriptures unveil to us how amazing and how awesome God really is. In 2 Corinthians chapter Nine, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. It says, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always, having all sufficiency in everything, you may have abundance for every good deed. It goes on, we read in Romans 16, we are told that he is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. Also, we are told that he is able to do far more abundantly beyond, you know, what, you know, all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. To him be the glory of the church and in Christ to all generations forever and ever. God is able, and what we need to understand is that our faith, our faith is in the that. And we need to remind ourselves of that. And we need to remind one another that that God is able. No matter what you face. God is able. The character of God, or the nature of God, or the power of God, has not changed for he He is from everlasting to everlasting. You're familiar with Revelation 4 where it says the Almighty who was and who is, and who is to come. God has not changed. Now, earthly circumstances, the things that we deal with in our lives, are constantly changing. Our world is constantly changing, but God is not. And no matter what our earthly circumstances are, they really have no impact on the trustworthiness of the one true God. And what I mean by that is that the the living God, the living God of the Old Testament is the same God of the New Testament and is the same God of our 21st century. He has not changed. And we have a faith in a God that is able. Our God, our God, your God, my God, parted the Red Sea. In Exodus chapter 14, Exodus 14, verse 13, where it says, Moses said to the people, here they are, caught between the sea and the approaching Egyptian army. And Moses says to the people, do not fear. Think they're afraid? Yes. The Israelites are trembling. And Moses said, don't be afraid. Do not fear. Stand by and see the salvation of the Lord. Which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you will never see them again forever. And so you drop down in verse 21. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord swept the sea by a strong east wind all night, and turned the sea into dry land. And the sons of Israel, the sons of Israel went through the midst of the sea on the dry land, and the waters were like a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Here we have. the ability of divine power to save. And what appeared to them at first to be a roadblock was no obstacle to God. And we did remember that. What appears to us as roadblocks is not a roadblock to our God. In Exodus 15, after they come across and they are there on the other side of the sea, of the Red Sea. And the Egyptian army has been drowned in that sea. Then you have recorded what is called the Song of Moses. And in this song it says, The Lord is my strength and song. And He has become my salvation. The Lord is a warrior. Your right hand, O Lord, is majestic in power. At the blast of your nostrils, the water piled up And the flowing water stood up like a heap. Who is like you? Who is like you, majestic and holy and awesome in praises, and working wonders? Is there any God like him? No. There is no other God but Jehovah. And this is our God. He parted the red sea then, and can he part the sea today? Yes. If he so desires to do so. That is why in Hebrews chapter 11, Hebrews 11 verse 29, in talking about the Israelites, he says, by faith they passed the Red Sea, as though they were passing through dry land. In the Egyptians, when they attempted it, were drowned. I would suggest to you, do not diminish the faith it took to cross the Red Sea on dry ground. Don't diminish their faith. As to think, well, that was something easy to do. Here they are on one side of the sea. And you've got these walls of water. Not held back by concrete. Yeah. Not held back by some clear, strong substance like you'd find in some aquarium. You've got these walls of water on either side of you just invisibly standing there. Don't diminish the faith it took for them to take that first step out between those walls. There may be some paths that you and I are taking or will have to take that we're going to have to trust God more than we ever have before. A a God-ordained path which we've not taken and yet it requires greater trust and we've got to walk through looming walls of power held by something that we cannot see. And it's God. Faith in a God who is able. Our Lord Almighty also is the one who defeated the innumerable Midianites with 300 Israelites. And so you turn over to Judges. Judges chapter 7, verse 2. The Lord said to Gideon, Gideon is the chosen judge for this occasion. He tells to Gideon, the people who are with you are too many for me to give Midian into their hands. For Israel will become boastful, saying, well, my own power has delivered me. And so he has to diminish the numbers. And you come down here in our reading, you look at verse 5 of Judges chapter 7. So he brought the people down to the water. And the Lord said to Gideon, You shall separate everyone who lapped the water with his tongue as a dog laps, as well as everyone who kneels to drink. Now the number of those who lapped, putting their hand to the mouth, was 300 men, but all the rest of the people kneeled to drink. And the Lord said to Gideon, I will deliver you with 300 men who lapped and will give the Midianites into your hands so that all the other people go. Each man shall go to his own home. If you recall the occasion, the Midianites are oppressors to the next individual. And they are oppressors because the Israelites had been disobedient. And God gave them over into the hands of these oppressors this nation of Midian, and they were under their oppression for seven years. Seven years they were oppressed. But when the Israelites finally repented, when they finally turned back to God, God chose Gideon, of all people, He chooses Gideon to defeat their oppressors as one man. Back over in chapter six, when God is calling Gideon to be His chosen judge and His chosen deliverer, He says, "The Lord said to Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat Midian as one man.'" If you recall, back in chapter seven, when Gideon sent out the, uh, the announcement, "Hey, we're going to battle against our oppressors," you know who, who's, who's going to volunteer. And 22,000 men were willing to go into battle with Gideon. 22,000. But that was too many. It dropped down to 10,000. That was too many. Why? Because God was going to show them that this battle belonged to him. He was not going to allow them to think, well, it's by their power they can feed the Midianites. Nope. Nope. It was going to be God's power of deliverance. Now, according to men, if you think about it, according to men, this little army of 300, you know, definitely was outnumbered and definitely was, was outarmed. But the victory didn't really belong to them, did it? It belonged to God. Victory belongs to God in God's way. We have a got it really. Do you ever feel outnumbered as a child of God? Do you ever feel overwhelmed by what you're up against in this world of darkness and sin and ungodliness? Do you ever feel that way? If you're fighting against God, you're going to lose every time. You can't fight against God and win that battle. But if you're going into battle with God as your commander, if you're going into battle, you know, with the eternal warrior at your side, following his marching orders and defending his cause, faith will be your victory. Because we believe in a God, the true and living God, the only God, who has the power to deliver an innumerable host of oppressors with only 300 men, who are armed, not with huge weaponry, but the simple way that God told them to do. Our unseen God, also, is the God who protected Elisha from the Arameans. Over in 2 Kings, 2 Kings chapter 6. And the reading is here in verse 15 through 17. But let me kind of back up a little bit. Where you've got the king of Aram has learned. He's been trying to attack Israel. And every time he attempted to attack you know things wouldn't go well for him, and he's learned that Elisha, the prophet Elisha, was thwarting his attempts in attacking him. And so now he's enraged. He's enraged against the prophet of God, and he's determined he's going to go up and go up against Elisha, where Elisha is, and he's down in a, a, a small town called Dothan. And so he goes to Dothan, and his his goal is I'm going to eliminate Earth from Elisha. We're not going to have another Elisha around. He wants to get rid of the guy. And so, you know, he sends his army down there, and then you start reading in verse 50. Now, when the attendant of the man of God. So basically, this is Elisha's servant. Uh, Elisha's attendant Elisha's co-worker he says when the attendant of the man of God had risen early and gone out he's gone outside the house behold an army with horses and chariots was circling the city he goes out in this this small town of Othin and and you've got this army circling the village and his servant Comes back in and says to Elisha, Alas, my master, what shall we do? What are we going to do, master? What are we going to do, Ma- Elisha? And Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. What appeared to be a trap. You think about it you know, from human vision. from here that It appeared that Arameans, this great army, has trapped the prophet and they got the upper hand. There's nothing that Elisha can do. Elisha has no way Elisha can have this, uh, this, this situation. He's not going to be able to escape. But what we're told in the unveiling of God scriptures here is... There's more to this than what meets the eyes. Invisible divine forces were already protecting Elisha. There is already this huge heavenly army protecting the prophet of God. It is then that Elisha prays again to God in verses 18 through 20. And he petitions God that he would blind the entire army, and God does that. And what Elijah does, he then leads the blinded army of the Arameans to the city of Samaria and turns them over into into their hands. And so, what what appears to us sometimes are forces that we cannot contend with. How can we defeat this? We need to remember there are invisible forces at work that we're not aware of. All of them. All around us. Yes, there are spiritual forces of wickedness too. In Ephesians chapter 6, 12, it talks about that our battle is not against flesh and blood. That's why we're to arm ourselves with God and God's armor. You know, it's not just a physical battle, it's a spiritual one. And so there are spiritual forces of wickedness at work in the spiritual realm who are opposing and attacking God's people. But that's not the only force out there. There's God's force as well. You have His heavenly foes as well at work in this great spiritual battle, the the war between God and Satan. Yes, there's a lot that we don't see with our physical eyes and we don't always fully understand You think about Job in Job chapter 1 and chapter 2. Job did not see what was coming. He had no no idea what was going to happen that day when he woke up. What a devastating blow it was going to be. He had no clue. But Job was not alone. Job was not alone. There are other forces everywhere. And God's hand was there watching over him. And so we need to remember that our invisible king, that our invisible shepherd reigns. He has been exalted on high and he reigns the right hand of God our Father and he is protecting his people. Our faith is in a God who is able. And our Heavenly Father even rescues faithful psalms from a fiery furnace. Over in Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3. It it is the the divine account of the faithfulness of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who yielded their bodies over to be cast into a fire because they refused to worship, they refused to obey anyone or anything other than God. That's how faithful they were. Now these young men had been captured they're not young men at this point but they were young men when they were captured and carried away as slaves, as Jewish slaves to Babylon in a foreign land far away from them And in time, they're elevated to be administrators in Babylon's province, but where where does their allegiance lie? Their allegiance lies with God. And that's where he's going to stay. They are servants of God. They are servants of Jehovah. And so when they're put to the test regarding whether or not they're going to bow down to this image that Nebuchadnezzar has has built, and it's called all Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would not do it. And so, there, beginning in verse 16, it says Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to give you, know, you an answer concerning this, this matter. If, if it be, our God, whom we serve, is able, He is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire. And He will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going. We are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. And they were thrown in. But then in verse 28, Nebuchadnezzar, after the fact, after you've got this divine deliverance of these three men, Nebuchadnezzar responded and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent His angel and delivered His servants, who put their trust in Him. Who put their trust in Him. Violating the king's command, and yielded up their bodies, so as to not serve or worship any god except their own god. These three heroes did not question God's ability to save. They, they were convicted and they were assured of that. But they were willing to embrace death. They were willing to embrace death because disobeying God was not an option. They would not consider it. No one. I'd rather die, is what they're saying. And what's interesting about this account, if you think about it, is God did not save them before. Before being thrown into the fire. They were tied up and thrown in. And that's when God saved them. That's when God delivered Faithful ones are not always spared... ...facing, experiencing hardship and suffering... ...fiery trials. James 1, 2 and 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7... ...speak of that. Of the various trials that Christians must face. And the various trials that we must endure... ...and persevere through... ...and if necessary, be faithful until death. To the point of death... If necessary. Now remember. Our God. Your God. My God. Is a God who commands fire. So that. Your hair. May not be singed. Your clothes. Won't even smell smoke. That's the God you serve. That's the God we serve. And we need to remember that. that That's what our faith is. And the power to protect and the power to overcome. And the power to endure is not in us. It is in God who is able. That's why we have these stories. That's why we have these divine gifts, So that we remember and know who our God is. And that's why we need to teach our children these stories. Day and night. Do what's right. Always. Do what you're commanded, even if it ends in death. Do not disobey God, no matter what. And finally, our God is able to preserve lives in a sea storm and even in a shipwreck. In Acts chapter 27, we read about Paul's journey. He's a prisoner for the cause of Christ in his journey to Rome, and it is a journey that is met with all kinds of trials and hardship and more suffering. Unwisely, the sailors had set sail in their route to Rome, with their prisoner Paul, and as a result, they would incur loss, but they're told, but not in loss. So here in Acts chapter 27, beginning in verse 21, they're already in the storm now. And they've already begun to, you know, try to throw off cargo, to lighten the load. And basically, they are just at the winds mercy. He says, When they had gone a long time without food, then Paul stood up from the midst and said, Men, you ought to have followed my advice and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this damage and loss. You should have listened to me back then. As done that said, can't go back there. But listen said. Yet now I urge you to keep up your courage, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night, an angel of the, of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve. Isn't that an interesting? One? Testimony of faith. The God whom I belong and the God whom I serve stood before me, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. I'm going to get you where I want you to be. You must stand before Caesar, but God has granted you all all those who are sailing with you. Therefore, keep up your courage, men, for I believe that it will turn out exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on a certain island. Basically, we have to wreck this ship. we got to run aground. And as you continue to read the story, if you learn that they do that. Sure enough, the ship is breaking apart. They've got to jump out of what's left of the ship and make it to shore. In the midst of all that violent force of war. The God who calmed the storm on the Sea of Galilee can keep people alive. The God who said, peace be still, through his son Jesus, is a God who keeps people alive in the worst case scenarios. God had been doing that throughout Paul's life, really, if you think about throughout his ministry as a Christian and as an apostle of the King and Son of God. You turn over to, you glance at in, in here in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, there in verses 23 through 27, and you, you just read the number of things that he has experienced. Here's a, here's a man who, you no know, way you're going to go through all of this and not bear the marks physically on your body to know that you have been put through it. And I would suggest you any other man would have died long ago. But the God who Paul belonged to and the God that Paul served is a God who is made of so here's a man, he says, that he, yeah, he says, you know, concerning his labors, his imprisonment, his, his beaten times without number. And these are plural. These are, are all in plurality. He says, three times I've beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked. So the shipwreck in 27 is not the only shipwreck that he endured. Three times shipwreck, a night and a day in the deep. And facing all kinds of dangers rivers and robbers and countrymen and gentiles and cities all of this god had been seen through through all of this he had been saving paul's life each and every time no matter what kind of danger he faced no matter what kind of pain he endured paul was a devoted servant of the lord risking his life for christ's cause And what did God do? God sustained him through it all until his mission was complete. When God finally was done with Paul and no longer needed him to hold up the banner of truth, Paul was allowed to go home. And so in whatever storm you find yourself, riding out. Take courage. Be strong of faith. Our Lord does care. He does care if we perish or not. He really does. But if we must perish, keep the faith. Like the Hebrew writer says in chapter 11, and what more shall I say? In the very words of, of the inspired, what more can we say? There are many more examples of great faith in a great God who loves us, who protects us, who delivers us, who strengthens his saints to the saving of their souls. Is it possible? Is it possible? to walk through the valleys with shadows of death looming all around us. Is it possible to walk through dark valleys with death all around us? Yes. Yes. We can walk those valleys. And that valley may end in my death, but it doesn't necessarily mean that. But can we walk it? Yes, we We can face whatever we must face because our God is able. We have an an omnipotent eternal shepherd. But have you called upon his name? Have you called upon his name to be saved? Have you been added by the shepherd himself to his flock so that he may protect you and in the end take you home with him? If not, God is able, God is able to save you. God is able to make your life white as snow and every sin to be erased and no longer remembered by Him. God is able to do that. But we must have faith in that God, and we must have faith in God's plan, and we must have faith in God's Savior. And it is that faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, that needs to move us to walk by faith, to live by faith, to obey by faith what God says we must do to be right with Him and to be in fellowship with Him. And to have a hope that will and can anchor you, no matter what this life throws at us. Do you believe in Him? Do you believe in that God and do you believe in His Son, Jesus? If you do, then why not today make that decision, make that commitment to give your allegiance to God and to give your allegiance to Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Confess your faith with your mouth before others. Repent of your sins. Turn away from a world of, of ungodliness and wickedness and be buried with Christ and Bethany, and be raised to walk in newness of life, and be raised to walk a walk of faith. Knowing that our God parted the Red Sea.
1: Our God
0: defeated a numeral host with 300 men. Our God protected Elisha with invisible forces. Our God Spare faithful sons who were cast into a fire furnace. Our God kept Paul alive through every possible unimaginable kind of situation so that he could proclaim the cross even to Caesar. You need to believe in that God. You didn't believe in that Jesus. And you need to call upon his name in obedience. If you are a Christian. And there's sin in your life that you've not repented of and you've not confessed. And if we can assist you in any way in making your life right with Him, we encourage you as well. Come forward while we stand and sing the psalms.